In Canto 21 of The Paradise, we are already in Saturn, much as has happened with the other transitions to the different planetary heavens. The transition itself is seamless, it's momentary. Um, it's because Dante's sight is now capable of this new depth of reality. As we might have expected, because at the end of Canto 20, having seen the souls in the eagle's eye and eyebrow, Dante had seen that there was actually only one Christian there. The others were Jews and pagans. He is now seeing with a depth of sight that just wasn't possible to him whilst he was staying within the confines of medieval Christendom. He is seeing things now with more penetrating clarity to their reality, which is that it's how you resonate with the cosmos itself that matters. It's not what you confess, not where you think you're going. And in fact, Trajan and Rapaeus in the eagle's eyebrow, who were pagans and very distant from Christianity, they are more capable of heaven because they were more surprised, more ready to change, more open to the newness of all things that Dante had become familiar with enough in the sphere of Jupiter to move to this next stage, which is the sphere of Saturn. And it's worth saying something, I think, about the nature of Saturn, much as we'd said something about the nature of the other planetary archetypes. Um, Saturn, too, nowadays, like Jupiter being reduced to the jovial, Saturn has tended to be reduced to the Saturnine, the kind of melancholic, um, the deadly even, often associated with father time, decay, degeneracy. And it's, so it's worth you know, asking why is Saturn the seventh light, as Dante puts it, in this higher sphere of heaven than even Jupiter? Well, it's worth remembering that Saturn was the father of Jupiter, came before Jupiter, and that spiritual sense of coming before means being closer to the source, which is God. And in fact, Saturn's reign was remembered as being a time of peace and harmony, of goodness, before things started to unravel in the time of Jupiter's kingship and Mars. And you can feel us cascading back down through the planets in that dynamic. So there is an echo of what's good and harmonious and closer to God in the sphere of Saturn. But that's not to lose sight of the sense of danger that comes with this planetary sphere. Um, Dante opens the canto by reminding us of the story of Semele, who had asked to see the glories of Jupiter and in a way wasn't able to take them in and so was reduced to ash. And Beatrice actually reminds Dante that you can see too much of God too soon. Um, the, the fear of the Lord is a terrible thing. Um, and in fact, Beatrice doesn't smile at the beginning of this canto. And this heaven is quiet. Um, the glory of this dimension is withheld from Dante so that it doesn't turn him to ash too soon. He must become more capable of it. Um, he must embark upon the transition into this reality, even as he's now at the cusp of being able to grasp it. 
And I think what this means in terms of spiritual truths is that if you become too identified with the divine too soon, if you open yourself to the divine in a dangerous or foolhardy way, it does risk undoing you. It does risk blasting you like a thunderbolt might strike a tree, which is another analogy that Dante the poet uses at the beginning of this canto. It's what Jung called ego inflation, when you can't tell the difference between your own self and the divine self. And I think conspiracy theories, which are so prevalent nowadays, have got caught up in this dangerous side of Saturn. You know, there's the conspiracy theory, which, as my friend Jules Evans has pointed out, can be too quick a rush to the sense that in an instant everything's going to become light, everything's going to become love. Um, the shadow side gets pulled in in those seemingly good visions, and before you know what's what, abuse or damage is being done to the followers of these sellers, these peddlers of heavenly light. Um, conversely, the conspiracy theories can grow dark right from the get-go and imagine all sorts of strange forces um, controlling and manipulating the world. And this is the David Icke tendency. And that too, I think, is being overcome by the shadow which is confused with the divine light because the divine light can't be understood. The crucial thing that makes Dante ready for the level of Saturn is that his will, his desire, his sense of himself, his perception of how God does draw him more and more into the divine life has been accurately assessed through the lower spheres, through the lower planets. You remember that in the moon, um, it was all chop and change, like the moon's phases and with the souls that he met there, they couldn't really hold it together for all that their intentions were good. In Mercury, it was a bit more tricksterish. You knew there was a way of trying to bring seeming contradictions together, um, but it was quite difficult to see that. It only came when they entered the sphere of, of Venus, where love and desire, that capacity to see beyond what's immediately known and be drawn by grace coming towards you as much as your own insight taking you forward, that began to be possible for Dante in Venus. And then in Mars, we've got the sense in which actually a dying to yourself is the crucial step towards letting in more of divine life, realising that life is actually situated outside yourself and you as an individual must resonate with that life which is outside yourself. You must be able to kiss the joy as it flies in Blake's phrase. That's what Dante um, managed to see and absorb and become capable of himself in the sphere of Mars, which took him to Jupiter and to this sense of the deeper mystery and order of God, which is there not to confound, although it does confound to those not capable of it, but to draw more deeply into, which is what he had seen through the sphere of Jupiter. And so now here in the sphere of Saturn, he's going to learn how the light of the human individual is a receptacle for the divine light. And when that receptacle is ready and capable of the divine light, it can indeed shine with it. It can smile fully, as Beatrice doesn't quite do yet. But the receptacle must be made ready 
otherwise it will be shattered into all sorts of distortions and the shadow side of Saturn will come out rather than Saturn as the transitional planet into the fullness of God's presence, which is what happens when Dante leaves the planetary spheres. But that's yet to come. For now, Dante must become able to keep the sense of himself whilst opening more and more to the divine life in Saturn. And this is one of the cantos where he deeply trusts Beatrice. He has to rely on Beatrice as a guide in order to find his way into the subtleties of this celestial balance. And what Beatrice tells him first of all, um, he's gazing at her, um, he's still very cognizant of the beauty of her face, even though she's holding back the dazzle of her smile in the sphere of Saturn. What she tells him first is to now look at the sphere around them, not just at her face, and that means shaping his inner mirror to become capable of taking in the light of Saturn. It's as much a psychological turning away from her um, as anything physical that she's fostering in him. I think it's, it's like saying, sort of take a step towards this greater light and watch in yourself what's happening. Watch for the moments when it feels like it might overwhelm but turn towards it in this, with these qualities of, of faith, hope and love, of humility, um, letting it work on you, letting it in, as much as trying to say, you know, well, certainly not trying to say I've got it, I've possessed it, I'm here now. Um, it's like finding your way gently through um, a new terrain um, where you realise you've got to work and understand the terrain um, in order to find your way through it. Um, you've got to be receptive to it as much as keep the sense that you're taking your, you know, step by step further through it. And so Dante does, and what he sees materialising before him um, is a golden ladder. Um, it's reminiscent, of course, of Jacob's ladder. Um, it's this ladder which is beginning to signal that here in the sphere of Saturn, Dante will be leaving behind that which is even at the far edges of mortal understanding to enter a new perception and awareness of the divine presence, the ladder that leads out of the planetary spheres through the fixed stars and into the Imperium itself. Um, it's a stepping away from usual consciousness, um, but not so as to be blasted by the different consciousness by the alternative the, the alternative states of mind um, you know this is not a trip and um, this is not one that takes you shreds your minds like a psychedelic trip um, that's what can happen if you uh, rush too far up the ladder uh, but Dante is going to learn how to climb that ladder himself and so the first step is to turn around and just see it to contemplate it to absorb what it means and what he sees um, first of all, are many, many golden lights um, that assemble around the ladder, and it reminds him a bit like flocking crows early in the morning. Um, some sit still as they let their wings absorb the sunlight. Some circle up into the air momentarily and then come back down again as they absorb the warmth. Um, others seem to fly away on their own and then come back again, too, taking in the sun's early rays, the sun's light. And the image 
I think speaks of how you've got to find your own individual way um, into absorbing this deeper heat and becoming more familiar with this source that's appearing over the horizon now for Dante. You know, some will just be able to sit still, um, like maybe a hermit, and take it in. Others will need to move between different realms, perhaps back into the usual world before they come back into this more divine presence. Um, some will have to do things in life, practical things, and then come back to absorbing being itself, move between who they are as mortals and who they are as divine souls. Um, there's, a, there's a sense of the dynamic within the individual person that I think this flock of crows image um, prompts in, in my mind at least and makes me, um, it's a kind of reassurance I think to Dante that um, finding his own way is precisely what he must do. He mustn't feel he's suddenly got to be in the divine presence. Um, he mustn't get ahead of himself. He must learn to walk before he can, well, ascend up the ladder, if not run up the ladder. And what happens next is that he notices one of these lights coming more closely towards him. Um, it's the light that has been sent to him that's moving towards Dante to be his teacher in this sphere. Um, by its own generosity, it wants to draw Dante into this light. And, you know, as people will tell you, a crucial part of moving to these higher states of consciousness is being able to welcome whatever approaches um, for all the difficulty it might seem to bring to you, for all the letting go that it might be inviting you to foster. And Dante, um, still following the guidance of Beatrice, um, tells us that he remains silent. He doesn't want to speak too quickly. Um, he doesn't want to get ahead of himself. Um, but Beatrice tells him to release his deepest desire. Um, and telepathically, um, she understands this. Um, they all share um, this sight of um, the one divine mind and so can see reflected and echoed the thing that's precise and appropriate for this moment and so she's able to see Dante's deep desire and so Dante addresses this soul and says you know you who have come to me from these heights that I can hardly dare grasp and I think you know makes him feel a bit nervous even as his desire um, is burning within him what have you to tell me? And the soul first affirms that Dan Beatrice doesn't smile, and there's no music, and the glory in this place is on the other side of a veil of silence, um, in a way intensifying its presence, even as it's held back all the more, because it's that much nearer to the eternal source, um, which this soul in fact can enjoy, um, it's descended the ladder in order to be with Dante and prepare him to climb the ladder. And Dante's intrigued. Remember, he's got predestination on his mind from at the end of Jupiter. And whilst um, he had learned there that um, predestination has this anagogic sense of drawing us more into the mysteries of God because we can become capable of those mysteries, um, he still is in this process of becoming so capable. And so he asks the soul in front of him again, you know, how is it that you are able to absorb this divine light in this very high domain when others weren't on their earthly mortal pilgrimage, at least? And, you know, once they're in heaven, um, 
souls do become capable of the Empyrean, but he is in this mortal domain, even as he's in these um, immortal realms. Um, and so he's interested in earthly life, and that is the life he's still leading. And so he asked the soul, you know, how come some seem to um, achieve much spiritually during their mortal lives when others don't? And what the soul tells him um, is first of all displayed, because the soul starts to spin. Um, it starts to spin like a millstone, um, but it's one that as it spins faster and faster and faster, symbolic of becoming more and more and more, showing, um, presenting the divine dynamic to Dante right in front of him. Um, it glows more and more, it becomes brighter and brighter. And I think this is a kind of demonstration to Dante of how hard, in fact, it is for human beings to bear the fullness of God's presence, even as it's our calling and desire and will and destiny to do so. And this soul then explains in words how it is that he became a contemplative, how it became that even in his mortal life, um, he became able to shine with the light of Saturn um, and bring the light of the Imperium even um, into the earthly realm. And I want to read the words as Mark Muser translates them because they're so beautifully put. Um, Mark Muser says, um, A ray of God's light focuses on me and penetrates the light enwombing me, whose force once joined to that of my own sight, lifts me above myself until I see the primal source from which such might is milked. So what this gives you um, is the sense that um, the soul in his life had become capable of polishing his own light to such a delicate degree without become identified with it, that seeing that its light could become a receptacle of the divine light. And so the light which enwombed him, which made him a human being, breathed on by the divine light and breath, um, could, could take in um, the divine milk um, and be fostered and nourished and flourish through that taking in, you know, rather than being blasted um, and overwhelmed by too rich a food. Um, this soul um, is going to turn out, hasn't revealed himself yet, that's often Dante's trick, doesn't provide the name of the soul until we've got a sense of who this person is in their inner life. Um, don't want to rush too quickly to think, oh, we've got them. Um, but this soul is going to be a hermit. Um, and I think the point about the life of the hermit um, is that if you too quickly rush to the cave, live the ascetic life, um, deny yourself material comforts, um, you will destroy your life. Um, it will become a life of suffering and of negative peasants, penance, you know, masochistic, even sadistic. Um, you need first to have become attuned to the spiritual goal of the ascetic life so that these deprivations actually become a joy because they free your desire to align more and more with spiritual things rather than becoming a kind of punishment on your material self as if somehow that must be um, repressed and um, subjugated um, in order to get to spiritual truths. That's completely the wrong attitude. That's the, the shadow side of Saturn. It's quite the opposite. 
um, material life must be moved through, its fullness must be seen, its joys and delights must be understood as transmitting even more delight and pleasure and joy, which is the spiritual life. And so this soul had um, let the light which enwombs it in its mortal life um, become transparent and capable of the divine light, which gave it its enwombing light to start with. And so that ray of God's light could penetrate its own soul and fill out complete even its human life during its mortal life. So the soul explains these things, but then adds a warning and says, look, what I'm really talking about can only be directly known. It can't be explained. And whilst you'll tell of these things when you return to earth, the soul says, you must also tell people not to feel that they can achieve this, not to feel that they can bring it about in their lives. Um, they will destroy their lives if they're not careful, um, because these are mysteries which even the seraph closest to God's throne in the highest imperium doesn't fully understand. It just knows um, it has been transformed and moved beyond um, the capacity to explain. That's what um, proximity to divine life is really like like um, the minute you try to explain it you get caught up in paradoxes but is it like this but what does that mean surely it's not something else um, the soul warns Dante about rushing too quickly into the sphere of Saturn even as he himself stands there you know I was reminded of Lucifer at this point um, the most beautiful of God's creatures um, who failed to maintain this delicate business of staying Lucifer but being capable of receiving more and more of the divine light and in that instance when he raised his brow as Virgil had explained to Dante in the depths of the inferno i.e. thought that the divine light was his own for the taking and the keeping had fallen so far and the higher you climb into these celestial realms the, the, the further you move along the spiritual path um, in a way, the greater the risks become, and so more delicate becomes the task of receiving God's light. Dante then asks the soul who he is. Um, he's ready to put a name to this soul, um, having understood um, that much. And the soul describes where he comes from, um, and then names himself as the hermit Peter Damien, um, who was a well-known contemplative of the medieval period. And um, I think it's also significant that it's Peter Damien because in his own life, Peter Damien had undergone a very profound journey. Um, he was known for his discipline and being disciplinary. Um, I think the hint here is that he had tended to substitute spiritual life for ecclesiastical severity, um, confusing the two. And um, he even received a cardinal's hat, he said, uh, before putting it off. Um, that was the wrong kind of glory and it's then that he entered the hermitage and actually learnt what true receptivity, true elevation was about, which is why he can communicate some of that at least to Dante here. And the canto ends with yet another condemnation of the church, um, that precisely it has got utterly confused about what is divine glory. Um, it's mistaken that for earthly glory. Um, he 
talks about cardinals walking around with their retinues, um, needing all sorts of material support um, to live their powerful lives, um, and they've completely forgotten that it's divine grace that can support their life, um, that power is not about discipline, it's not about dictating, it's not about saying what's true and what's false, um, it's not about selling people their place in heaven by priestly blessings and um, papish um, jubilees even, as um, Dante had um, described to us um, in Purgatory. For all the good intentions that might in part have been behind these things, mortals in Dante's time, in Dante's church, had become too confused. It's this spiritual materialism we've seen that they'd lost sight of how it's supposed to lift people to higher dimensions, um, not just inflate and inflate and inflate the earthly dimension. Um, you know, my sense is, again, much like conspiracy theories, that very often happens here um, in the 21st century and the way that Christianity is presented too. But Dante seems to get it um, because the canto ends with more lights coming down the ladder. He's beginning to be able to absorb this true glory, to see it, um, to be open to it and not lose himself in the process. Although the canto ends with another warning, uh, much as it had become with these images of Semele turning to ash and the tree being struck by thunder, because it ends with probably the loudest disturbing noise in the whole of the Divine Comedy, with a great clap of thunder. But we'll have to wait until the next canto to understand the significance of this clap of thunder. Dante the poet, in the very way that he divides these cantos up, giving us a moment to pause and ask ourselves whether we are really capable of understanding what it might be about.